This podcast is sponsored by the Global Connected Aircraft Summit, the only event dedicated to complete connected aircraft solutions. You'll gain a deeper understanding of global connectivity and have the opportunity to network with more than 300 airline and supplier attendees. For more information, visit GCASummit.com. That's GCASummit.com. And use promo code AIRWEEK, that's A-I-R-W-E-E-K, to save $200 on registration. Seth, remember that time I went to Vegas and I made $2 billion? Uh, not really. True story. I got on a hot streak and I turned $100 into $2 billion. Took me all night at the roulette wheel. And you know what? What? It felt good. I was on top of the world. But everything's relative, and for others, $2 billion is relatively lousy. Just ask Lufthansa, an airline group that made $2 billion last year but has little to smile about. Lufthansa, which includes Austrian Airlines, Swiss, Eurowings, and Brussels Airlines, did barely better than Air France KLM and much worse than IAG. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about whether Lufthansa is mired in mediocrity. We'll talk about the investment made by American Airlines in China Southern. Plus, U.S. airlines are pulling out of Cuba. And Latam continues to recover from the great Brazilian bust. It's all coming up in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're starting off with Lufthansa, who this month finally reported its Q4 results and 2016 full-year results. Before we get to Lufthansa, Seth, why does the first quarter earnings season drag on and on like it does? Well, have you ever looked at Lufthansa's earning or their annual report, rather, Jason? It, it's it's hundreds of pages long, um, and it uh, I guess takes them this long to produce the thing part of it's that and and um you know for a lot of other airlines just the end of year accounting is is more complicated than uh than the quarterly accounting and they just take their times time more yeah you're right uh you know the chinese airlines have not yet reported uh you know among among uh other noteworthy ones that haven't so um that they should say that the, the major chinese airlines so uh uh so yeah it's just how it goes um and honestly for us it, it it's kind of good to to spread out the earnings reports a little more uh, widely because um, with you know finite space in the newsletter and finite time to analyze everything uh, kind of works out better. Um, the other quarters increasingly over the years everything's kind of gotten bunched together. Uh, airlines report more quickly, which is you know a, a welcome thing generally speaking. You know investors want to see the numbers and so forth, but uh, and in some regards it makes our job uh, more difficult and and uh, by extension makes the first quarter. Uh, uh, easier in the sense that we can kind of take our time. Getting to Lufthansa's results, they weren't good. The group did make a net profit of $2 billion, but that amounts to just a 5% operating margin, which was just slightly ahead of Air France KLM and way behind IAG. IAG includes British Airways, Iberia, Aer Lingus, and Vueling. IAG's profit margin was 11%, more than twice as good as Lufthansa's 5%. Seth, Am I right to conclude this was a disappointing year for the Lufthansa Group? 
It was, um, although I should say that it kind of does depends on how you slice those numbers. Uh, you know, certainly, yeah, if you look at uh, operating margin, um, Lufthansa much closer to Air France KLM than it is to IAG. On the other hand, if you look at its net results, um, uh, you know, just just how much money did it make? It uh, look Lufthansa earned two billion dollars, excluding uh, special items. Um, IAG did better on less revenue. I mean, so 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 clearly more successful. But you compare that two billion to less than half a billion net, excluding special items for Air France KLM. So in terms of just how much money they made, and, and those two airlines aren't aren't that far apart in size. Lufthansa are just slightly bigger by revenue as a company. You know, depending on how you measure, uh, yeah, Lufthansa clearly worse than IAG, but clearly better uh, than Air France KLM. Just more clear by some measures uh, than by others. Uh, Swiss, by the way, uh, very much still the the jewel in the Lufthansa crown. Um, uh, you know, you you, uh, I mean, its margins are always. Uh, very much at at the uh, the top uh, for that company, Swiss. Let's see, uh, almost eight percent uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, quarter when Lufthansa, you know, barely broke even, uh, and for the year uh, over nine percent. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's it's um, uh, rather clearly the most important part. Hard to imagine where that company would be. If it hadn't bought Swiss back in, oh, I think it was 2005. We've talked about what's going right at IAG versus Lufthansa before. But let me ask you this. Does IAG have any recipe that Lufthansa could borrow or maybe more accurately steal that might help turn things around? Or is it just a matter of structural differences? I think probably more structural than not. Um, you know, IAG is just a much lower cost company. Um, you know, British Airways, back before the merger, uh, restructured itself very thoroughly. Oh, what's it? A little more than a half decade ago. Iberia has done that even more recently. Um, so a lot of it is just, uh, you know, it's just a lower cost company, uh, kind of a, a less unwieldy company. Does that make you more wieldy? Somehow it doesn't work, does it? Um, it but uh, you know, it, it's it's just uh, yeah, it's, it's BA uh, Iberia, uh, the Voiling, of course, as a few years ago, and, and, and most recently Aer Lingus, uh, which itself, by the way, the addition of Aer Lingus has brought down the the unit cost of the company Voiling also. Uh, so so you're you're talking there about two rather low cost units that um, just make the company overall. Uh, a, a lower cost, lower unit cost company, uh, despite having access to some of the best revenue in the world because of BA's position uh, in London, specifically London Heathrow. So, um, you know, a lot of that is structural. Um, now, you know, you know, look, Lufthansa makes decisions like its pursuit of Eurowings, uh, which, you know, we'll see how that works out. You can certainly understand why they feel compelled to do that because of all the competitive threats. But, you know, uh, Eurowings isn't profitable. Um, so, uh, you know, that is a decision. They could decide not to do that. I don't know in the long run how that would work out, but I know that right now, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not an easy thing to be doing. IAG, of course, embarking on its, on its own lower cost, uh, long haul unit, uh, level, uh, it's going to be called, although, um, IAG claims that, that there are reasons why that might succeed where others have, oh, if not quite failed, uh, at least, uh, maybe seem to be on the path uh, to that and certainly not contributing to profits at, at uh, uh, in the case of a Eurowings unit at Lufthansa. How would the group look if we set aside Eurowings? 
Well, I mean, it, it would look better just in terms of if you just look at the numbers right now, um, uh, in terms of its its contribution or, or lack thereof. You know, I, I ran the numbers on that. Um, so if you take out, uh, so for the fourth quarter, uh, Lufthansa did a you know, did a one percent operating margin overall as a company. You take out Eurowings, Eurowings had a negative eleven percent margin, dragging down the company. Now it's not that big, but it still it still pulls it down. So it would have been more like a two percent margin uh, without Eurowings uh, for the full year. Lufthansa, you know, it's five and a half percent margin. Uh, instead, a little more than six percent. If if you take out Euro Wings, uh, dragging it down, so you know, not a huge difference. And Lufthansa would say, "Look, this is a long term play. This is this is where we need to be. That's where the growth is." Uh, you know, leisure long haul demand in Europe. Uh, it's, it's the only way they can uh, you know, combat some of the some of the competitive threats in Europe. Uh, so they would. You know, they they clearly see that all as as well worth it. A small enough drag on earnings for now, and hopefully, eventually, a, a contributor to profits that it's worth doing. But uh, but yeah, at the moment, uh, you know, the simple answer is that if if there were no euro wings, it would be a uh, a, a slightly more profitable company than it is. And while Eurowings for now might be the problem child, it is growing and they're driving down unit costs. Is there any hope that it could at least become a neutral factor fairly soon? Well, that, that, yeah, I mean that is the hope, right? Um, and and sure, you know, it, it uh, gives the company more scale flexibility. It's uh, you know, even um, I mean, it's hard hard to try to figure out the net effect on labor relations of these units because on one hand they cause you problems, uh, but on the other hand, you know, once they're going you know, di- different airline units, not only these these. Uh, um, you know, kind of long haul leisure units, D- different airline units can kind of compete for the growth. You know, whoever's most efficient gets uh, gets the new aircraft, uh, and you know that could put some downward pressure from from a company perspective on on labor costs. And uh, you know, and just its presence, you know, to whatever extent Eurowings, you know, discourages Norwegian from doing something, uh, you know, it can be helpful. So, so, so sure, you know, there, there's a scenario where um, where it. Uh, uh, where it does indeed uh, have at least a, a a neutral effect, it's it's a tough business to be in. But but again, you can you can understand Lufthansa's thinking. Uh, still early days in terms of uh, drawing any conclusions about uh, about uh, the results. Um, you can understand also just sort of a, a bias on the part of management teams at companies everywhere against being seen. You know, not doing anything, uh, and so. You know, sometimes even if you don't have any great answers, you uh, uh, you feel like you got to do something, um, even if sometimes <laughs> doing nothing might end up being better than doing something uh, in the long run. But uh, companies tend to err on the side of, of doing something, and you can understand the pressure they feel to do that. Okay, let's look for some bright spots. I'm talking about the group as a whole now. Uh, we're seeing a slowdown in growth from the Gulf carriers. That's got to be good news. No doubt. Yeah, they they uh, you know regardless of I mean all of these airlines in various ways have, have tried to kind of make their peace um, with with Gulf carriers, but uh, uh, you know even as the U.S. carriers go the opposite direction, very much you know ramping up their their opposition. But uh, but no, there, there's there's no question they they'd uh, uh, they they'd rather not 
have to contend with them and and you could throw turkish in to one degree or another there you know their 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 growth has has slowed uh so that too you know that's that's competing capacity for for a company like lufthansa uh even more so you know there's even more overlap for lufthansa than there is um uh for reference klm or especially for iag part of it's just geography you know lufthansa's hubs in general are are further east and they just compete for for more of the same uh, kinds of traffic flows, especially uh, against Istanbul, but, but but as well against the uh, Gulf hubs. And there's Brussels Airlines, who, after a terrorist attack at its home airport last year, will probably see a better 2017. Indeed, and, and that would be, uh, you know, perhaps not a bad year at all, considering that uh, it did manage to be in the black, uh, you know, albeit just with a less than 2% operating margin. Uh, that, that was worst among the the mainline brands to so set aside Eurowings, which was a negative four percent for a year. Uh, you know, Brussels Airlines worse than uh, than Lufthansa mainline Swiss Austrian. Um, but 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 not bad considering what what uh, what happened there. Um, you, know, you got to give them credit for managing to do as well as they did. Things continue to turn around there. Um, it's a reasonably low cost unit, uh, a unit that um has some nice revenue exposure. Um. In terms of the way things used to be, a nice uh, a lot of exposure to Africa. The problem is that right now, um, you know, those markets with commodity prices being low um, just aren't as good as as uh, as they've been in the past. So, uh, reasonably low cost unit, uh, but just not the same kind of uh, uh, great revenue exposure uh, as there once was. So, a lot of that's going to just depend on um, on trends in terms of commodity prices. Kind of a nice hedge in that regard. Um, you know, if 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 uh, oil prices were to rise a lot and just other commodities in general, uh, you know, not a great thing overall for an airline company like Lufthansa. Um, but Brussels Airlines, at least more than any other unit there, uh, would 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 probably see a revenue spike in, in in some of its markets. And Air Berlin is becoming less of a problem. It is. Uh, it's becoming less of an airline. I mean, it's 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 just uh, you know. It's gradually, well, I mean, I, I guess time will tell if this this you know ends up being this or the beginning of the end for it but uh yeah for now it's shrinking it well it's leasing planes to lufthansa um basically lufthansa paying air berlin to fly for it uh so uh, i mean by definition there instead of competing against that capacity uh you know it controls that capacity and uh you know getting it i'm sure at a at a at a fairly um decent decent rate so um uh, so, so that's that's a uh, a very positive uh, competitive trend, um, you know. And and by by the way, I mentioned before, sort of Lufthansa to some degree making peace with uh, with with uh, uh, the Gulf carriers. I mean, in, in its case, that really means uh, it's a lot of what's going on with Air Berlin kind of being brokered by Etihad, right? Uh, which which is a key owner of Air Berlin, so. Um, so yeah, you know, very much the way that, that IAG, uh, works with Qatar Airways. I mean, different there because Qatar is, is also the biggest shareholder in IAG. Certainly not the case with Etihad and Lufthansa, but, uh, uh, yeah, finding, finding itself working in some regard, at least with, with one of those Arabian Gulf carriers. Overall, what do you expect from Lufthansa Group in 2017? Yeah, well, all that is is uh, positive. What we just mentioned, you know, it, it's got some, some new joint ventures, uh, ramping up with, uh, and, and I mean, not just with any, you know, third-rate airlines. You know, with, with Singapore Airlines, with Air China, um, and these are already 
you know, Star Alliance partners. I mean, they're, 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 those are the kinds of relationships that, um, that, you know, you have to feel good about them uh, starting. You know, on the other hand, I mean, look, um, the competitive trends are, 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 are not easy. Too bad for Air Berlin. What's happening there? Of course, that's good for, uh, for Lufthansa. But oh, uh, here comes Ryanair growing, uh, well, entering and now growing rather rapidly at Frankfurt, uh, you know, saying the bookings are so strong that it's moving up the launch dates for some of its markets there. That's not good news. Uh, Lufthansa feels that the airport has kind of gone overboard in, 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 to, in terms of attracting Ryanair, offering it incentives. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Alitalia. That's, that's another big question. It's uh, kind of in the same Air Berlin situation, also, you know, the, the, the tied up with, with Etihad, but in Alitalia's case, you know, I mean, it's it's a mess, but for now, it's 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 very much alive, and if anything, it wants to grow. Uh, you know, it's it's transatlantic service, uh, for example. Uh, no sign for now. There've been over over the years signs that you know perhaps Lufthansa would get involved in in restructuring of Alitalia. No sign of that for now. So if anything, uh, Alitalia. Uh, you know, more more of a threat if it if it figures out how to uh, how to grow more rapidly, even if it doesn't make more money doing so. And as a reminder, the lounge is made possible by our sponsor, the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Learn more at gcasummit.com. Big news out this week. American Airlines is buying a $200 million share of China Southern. We said in Airline Weekly this would be a blockbuster deal. Seth, what makes it a blockbuster? And is the fact that China Southern's main hub is in Guangzhou a problem? To take the second part first. Yeah, I mean, it's not where you would ideally want uh, want that hub, you know, for, 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 uh, for a number of reasons. Just geographically, it's not as well positioned for a lot of the kinds of connections that that you might want. You know, you have to kind of fly south out of the way to connect somebody up to, oh, you know, Shanghai or or, or what have you, depending where you're coming from. Obviously, that's that's uh, you know, there's some some routes from the U.S. that would that would uh, work better than others. But um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a smaller local market. It's not you know. Americans don't go there, uh, you know, as tourists generally. Um, so the you know, leisure demand that's emerging, you know, in terms of travel to China, not not as um, as strong to there as it is to uh, to Shanghai or or, uh, or or of course Beijing. Um, now China Southern, I should note, you know, uh, they do have a hub in Beijing as well. Um, it's it's just, uh, uh, but it's much smaller. It's 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 a sort of a secondary hub whereas air china has a, a giant hub there um it you know it's a blockbuster deal because that's a lot of money and that finally brings american airlines uh close with one of china's mainline china, mainland china's rather uh big three uh airlines so that's that's a that's a big deal it was lacking that china southern you know is a, is a sky team member so that's um it's a little more awkward um than uh you know united being partnered with air china both star members uh, Delta being partnered with China Eastern, um, both uh, uh, both Sky Team members. Um, so you know, I, I I I mean, you'd have to you'd have to sort of concede that um, that China Southern is what was left for American, right? The other two were taken. Uh, you know, no matter what they say, it probably wasn't their first choice. Um, but but yeah, you know, in in terms of of, of having a. Uh, a uh, beachhead on uh, in mainland China. Uh, this is very much that it, it is a it is a 
a big airline, um, a very ambitious, uh, aggressively growing airline, um, and uh, American is now uh, is is now partnered with it. And in terms of uh, um, uh, Northeast Asia in general, look, uh, I mean, there's. There's no question that United uh, of the U.S. Big Three airlines is best positioned in in, in Northeast Asia. Um, you know, it has probably the best Chinese partner that you would want in Air China, and it has a joint venture in Japan with All Nippon, which is uh, which is now the biggest um, uh, you know international airline in in Japan. So, uh, you know, not to mention a a uh, a, a Taiwanese partner. Um, so, you know, the the so. You know that that's probably what you would, you would want, um, but it's an interesting question. Would you rather be American or would you rather be Delta? Delta has that China Eastern partnership. You'd rather, you know, you, yeah, you'd probably rather the airline with the Shanghai hub than the Guangzhou hub, even if it is split among two airports. But on the other hand, uh, you know, Delta doesn't have a joint venture partner in Northeast Asia. Um, it's the only one of the three without a J- Japanese joint venture partner. And uh, you know, sort of big strategic issues with what, what do you do with uh, with Japan? Um, you know, it, it has its uh, its Narita hub, uh, which has become increasingly less competitive as Haneda gets gets more service, and it's kind of trying to figure out what to do with that. Um, American, you know, without that kind of a dilemma. So, uh, so yeah, no, to 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 some degree at least, this sort of uh, let's say maybe makes it a closer fight between American and Delta, uh, even if neither of those two have uh, quite what United has in Asia. In other news, Frontier Airlines and Silver Airways announced their ending service to Cuba. And a lot of other U.S. airlines have reduced seats in that market as well. Call it a market correction. Uh, First, did airlines absolutely get it wrong, or is this just a matter of impatience? And let me ask, what's your overall take from this story? I ask this because it's been a unique situation. Havana was not just another new route, was it? Not at all. I mean, there was all this anticipation um, because of the history there where for uh, for all these decades, U.S. airlines couldn't serve it, at least not with scheduled you know passenger service. And, uh, you know, part of what that meant was the usual tools for for forecasting a market um, were just really unavailable to them. Uh, You know, usually if an airline is looking at putting new nonstop service into a market where that doesn't exist, you know, they, they could look at how many people are flying on an origin and destination basis, you know, to, to that market. You know, if, 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 uh, uh, you know, if, if, if American Airlines is trying to decide whether to fly from, uh, you know, Philadelphia to Prague, uh, you know, okay, nobody's flying that nonstop, but it, it can figure out how many people are, are flying between Philadelphia and Prague, you know, connecting in, you know, Paris and what have you, right? Um, but that didn't exist with Cuba because, um, you know, almost nobody was flying there because they weren't allowed to. Uh, so they, um, uh, you know, so they, they had to uh, make some guesses and they were, uh, uh, you know they 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 saw it very much as a long term play. They understood that, yes, but uh, I I do think they um, are surprised at how poorly it has gone. Um, there were a couple things in play. So first of all, in terms of Havana itself, um, there were these twenty round trips that these airlines could get without any expectation that there would be any others in the future. I mean, maybe there will be, but they couldn't they couldn't count on that. So they wanted to get as many of those as they could. Uh, you know, from Miami and Fort Lauderdale, of course, but also from uh from elsewhere. And so they all sort of piled in to try to get their share of those twenty. And sort of related to that, uh, you could also start other markets. Um and it was less restrictive because they weren't falling all over themselves to the same degree to fly to, you know, 
Faradero or Camagüey or what what have you. But, you know, some of those markets that they announced were probably uh, partly strategic to have regulators, to have DOT kind of look kindly on them and allocate the Havana frequencies to the airlines that were most aggressive about starting these other sort of higher risk markets the way they saw it, right? So they said, oh, we're going to launch all the you know, silver you mentioned. They they started flying, a, oh, I don't know, I think nine or 10 places in, in, in Cuba, um, even though they in the end didn't get any of the Havana frequencies. Um, but other airlines too, you know, Americans started a whole bunch of service um, and were rewarded with, uh, you know, with, with, with a lot of Havana flights, even if perhaps less than you might have expected relative to their presence in Miami, which is by far the biggest market there. Um, anyway, so uh, so uh, you know, so they did all of that. You know, some of it probably more with a long view, which is fine. It's a luxury you have, especially when you're a uh, uh, a U.S. airline nowadays operating in this sort of consolidated, restructured market, all making a lot of money. You know, you don't, you're not, and you're not just struggling to get through the day any longer. But when you look at them uh, sort of cutting and running from Cuba, you have to think that things were uh, even worse than they imagined. Um, there are fares out there, very low fares uh, to Cuba, and yet they're apparently struggling to fill CT even at those rather low fares. You know, so here they are um, in those couple cases, as you mentioned, just leaving all together. In other cases, reducing capacity, either reducing frequencies, uh, down gauging. That's what JetBlue has done. It went from uh, uh, 150 seat aircraft, A320s, to uh, the 100 seat E190s in most of its markets, aside from Havana. And Havana went from 200 seat uh, A321s down to 150 seat uh, A320s. So, so, you know, those. Those 200 seat A321s. I mean, that tells you that they that they probably expected there to be demand right away in that market because they did, you didn't need to put your biggest aircraft in there just to kind of squat on the on the frequencies, so to speak, you know, uh, and wait for demand to materialize. So yeah, I, I think they've been rather disappointed. Uh, tough market, you know. It's 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 um uh, still not totally open in the sense that there's all this ambiguity about. Uh, you know, are you real as an American? Are you really allowed to fly there? Well, you're not allowed to go just as a tourist. Uh, you know, it has to be for one of these other 12 purposes of travel. Now, is anybody really going to challenge you if you go? Eh, probably not. But if a lot of people hear that what they're doing might not be legal, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they're probably not going to do that. You can't use a U.S. issued credit card, uh, in Cuba. So I don't know. Do you want to tra- travel around with all that cash? Um, so it, it is a, a, there's a higher level of difficulty, um, uh, uh, both in terms of perception to some degree reality, uh, involved in traveling to Cuba and, um, you know, perhaps considering all of that, uh, no surprise that it's been, yeah, I'd say probably more difficult, uh, than these airlines, uh, predicted, even if they all conceded from the beginning that they really had no idea what to, uh, what to expect. Moving a little further south of Havana, South America's biggest carrier reported improved annual profits in 2016. LATAM's operating margin was 6% in 2016, compared with 5% the year before. That's an improvement for sure, as the Brazilian currency and economy improve. But two things have muted LATAM's results a bit, haven't they? Yeah. Um, look, the, the, the competitive environment is not getting any easier there. Um, true more in some markets than others. Uh, now, Brazil, you know, there's been a lot of capacity contraction um, in tandem with, with the, the economy there imploding. Um, and, and uh, you know, so, so there at least that's happened. But in other parts of South America, Lima, for one, where, where Latam is a hub, um, you know, a very difficult competitive environment. Um, and, and really all over uh, 
South America. I mean, you know, Argentina, there's, there's, uh, you know, you've got this, uh, this fly bondy, this new LCC there. Um, uh, in Chile, uh, Indigo Partners says they're coming in with, with a, uh, you know, with a new ultra LCC. So, you know, and that's not even up and running yet, but that's something you're going to have to contend with. And, uh, you know, Colombia has just been a, a brutal competitive battle there. Uh, so really all over, uh, it's, it's network. It, it's had to contend with that. Um, you know, cargo, uh, ha- has still been difficult. Now, when it was just Lon, uh, you know, before, before Lon and Tom merged, uh, cargo was a huge part uh, of, of, of its business. It was one of those airlines kind of up there with Korean air and not too many others around the world where cargo was, oh, I don't know, you know, close to a third uh, at one point of its, of its revenues, uh, Chile being a huge exporter. Um, that's no longer the case. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, for better or worse and kind of for better more often than not nowadays because cargo is tough, uh, not as big a part of its business, but, uh, it's still a big and, uh, and shrinking part. Cargo revenues down another, uh, uh, 8% last quarter. But it sounds as if Latam is addressing these challenges head on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, they uh, um, look, they're a part of the capacity reductions in Brazil. They're, they're a big part of, of kind of shoring things up for themselves. Uh, helpful, obviously, for their competitors too. Um, but they, they slashed capacity there. Um, and that, by the way, you know, that's one benefit of, of merging and becoming as big of a company as, as, uh, as they are is it, it's just, easier to reallocate resources among a among a much bigger uh, network. You know, they've leased some A350s to Qatar Airways, you know, to, to keep, uh, you know, keep from having over capacity from uh, from from their perspective. They are um, trying to form what would look like two very promising joint ventures with American uh, and and with uh, with British Airways. That's all sort of spending pending uh, regulatory blessings, um, but they're you know, doing the right things with that. They've gone to more uh, LCC like tactics in their whole short haul network. They've they've long been uh, you know on, on on the Chilean side one of the most aggressive in this regard. You know for a long time they're short haul aircraft. Uh, you, know, you get on one Air A three twenties, no no uh, short haul first class or business class. Uh, cabin uh you know rather dense configuration and they've gone even more in that direction uh you know charging for luggage where they can charging for food and drinks where they can and so forth um so they're yeah uh, nobody can accuse them of of uh of standing still you know they're an airline that just found themselves in in some very tough markets uh and hopefully from their perspective uh the uh the worst is behind them certainly in, in a place like brazil which is you know, which was kind of the biggest problem just because it was it was such a big market that was suffering so badly uh it, it does seem like uh, like the economy uh, has has uh, perhaps turned the corner, and if that's the case, and if airlines don't get too aggressive about adding back in capacity until uh, uh, you know until demand justifies it, then uh, then they should be okay. And the worst is behind us because we're out of time. And this concludes episode sixty nine of the Airline Weekly Lounge. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for stopping by. This podcast has been sponsored by the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Visit GCASummit.com.